couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to you that something that I don't preach about, preach on much or about much, but is part of the whole collection of themes that we receive each week uh, in the liturgical year, in addition to the biblical readings, is the collect for the Sunday, which is a way of forming and collecting the people. You know, in the early Christian church, um, in the earliest liturgies that we have written down and possess, uh, people were milling into these public buildings after the Constantinian settlement and getting ready and uh, doing all these sorts of things and all the clergy had to march in and there was the Kyrie eleison and everything and then you had to start. So the, the starting was uh, coming in but also praying this prayer called the collect, collecta, to collect the people and to sort of set their minds thematically on what the day is about. In the three-year cycle, we have three sets of readings, and so the colic doesn't always apply in absolute terms for each of the cycles. But I think to some extent it does today, because it's about God's grace preceding and following us. And so this has something to do with the grace of God, and there are two readings that uh, maybe touch on this from 2 Timothy and from the Gospel, that God's grace is present to God's people both personally and corporately, and that we need to understand the themes that are in the reading as some way connected to uh, the grace of God, which we talk about all the time. So as I continue, I'll give you some definitions of what the grace of God means or God's grace but uh, I'll do it as I talk about the two readings from 2 Timothy and from the Gospel. 2 Timothy is one of the pastoral epistles. That's what they're called. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And as we, I've talked about endlessly, this is part of what most biblical scholars now believe to be uh, written after Paul. But I read an interesting piece of scholarship that I always wish to share with my people. And that is that um, there's some very substantial information by some very respectable biblical scholars which would suggest that 2 Timothy, if there, any of them are Paul, really Pauline, that's the, this is the one. Because of the style and because of what uh, is spoken about thematically. So I just thought I'd mention that. The pastoral epistles are called this because they're addressed really to the leadership of the congregations where the letter to the, to the person, Timothy, who is a bishop in all probability. And so Paul is writing to Timothy about his ministry and giving him encouragement with regard to the issues of leadership that he has encountered now as the church has moved to the sub-apostolic period. Most of the apostles are dead, and so we're now thinking about the way in which we need to uh, do what we do, and in various communities, people meet resistance. So in one sense, this is a reading about what leadership encounters and what resources they can rely upon as they seek to be faithful and the themes that we have in this reading are that God is always faithful and that one of the prices of leadership is suffering. 
So this isn't today necessarily about the suffering that we talk about, uh, uh, our physical suffering or emotional suffering in the sense uh, that we, we talk about it, but it's about the leadership difficulties that one goes through. And there is an element of suffering involved in these things. Any of you who've been in any position of leadership know that that's so. And so it is uh, some encouragement by Paul uh, first of all, by speaking about, he does have this tendency, if this is authentically Pauline, you think you've got it bad. I'm chained up here in jail. <laughs> right? So it was probably, if it's Pauline, it was written when he was in prison at the end of his life. And uh, he's writing to Timothy about all of this. But something in here, I think, uh, tells us about God's faithfulness, and God's faithfulness is expressed... Uh, not explicitly in this reading, but thematically for the Sunday in God's grace. I looked up uh, a definition of God's grace in the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church, a big, thick book, and it said, Grace is the supernatural assistance of God bestowed upon a rational being with a view to his or her sanctification. And then I read the Book of Common Prayer, which said, Grace is God's favor toward us, unearned and undeserved. By grace, God forgives our sins, enlightens our minds, stirs our hearts, and strengthens our wills. That's Mobetta, isn't it? You know, I love the supernatural assistance of God. I could hear somebody like Henry Chadwick when he was alive but, uh, in England speak about the supernatural assistance of God. I kind of like it, but most people nowadays would probably go, I don't know. I don't but God's grace is God's favor toward us, unearned and undeserved. By grace, God forgives our sins, enlightens our minds, stirs our hearts, and strengthens our wills. This is a commercial message for having a little peek at the catechism in the Book of Common <clears throat> Prayer. Because uh, we don't refer to it as often as we might. But it is, it is and, and I think we always need to have the caveat that it isn't the last word on any of the deep things of Christian faith and belief, but it puts in very uh, good form and straightforward form uh, the belief of the church in many ways. So if you ever wanted to know how we understand things, the catechism uh, is a very good way to do that. And the catechism in this prayer book is about the content or the outline of the Christian faith. In the former prayer book, the catechism was all about keeping the Ten Commandments. So it was an entirely different understanding of what it was that you were supposed to do or to learn uh, as you went forward. The Ten Commandments, to be sure, are mentioned in the catechism, but they are not the centerpiece of how we understand uh, the Christian faith and life. So think about God's favor freely given towards us, unearned and undeserved, by grace, God forgives our sins, enlightens our minds, stirs our hearts, and strengthens our wills. So from 2 Timothy, we get that God's grace is present to help us through the inevitable suffering that will come when we exercise leadership and so forth. And you know, we live in a culture that uh, is not interested particularly, and I know in my own life I'm not always interested particularly in doing the hard work necessary for transformation. I want symptom relief. 
right? I want to have the problem, what's presenting here, taken away from me. So uh, what Paul is speaking about to Timothy is that in the pastoral work and the leadership that he exercises, he's going to have to undergo some species of acceptance with regard to uh, the resistance that he's going to have to deal with and the anxiety and reactivity of other people uh, in community life and in relationship. That just comes with the territory. And we would wish it not to be so, but it is. And the remedy for this, of course, is God's grace, but also that God is faithful. Paul seems to contradict himself in this reading. We have in it a little uh, fragment of a liturgical hymn from the very early church. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself, which seems to contradict what he said just before, doesn't it? If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So, you know, just like everybody else, have you ever started to write something and you started at the beginning and then it ended up different? I bet that's, you know, something that might have happened here. So that's a thing we need to think about. In the midst of the uh, adversity and the difficulty that you feel when you exercise leadership in big and small ways, you need to know that the lesson from this reading today is that God is faithful. And God's with you. He, his grace precedes, comes before, and follows you. You know? So that's an article of faith uh, that Christian people might hold. In the Gospel, we have the reading in Luke about the healing of the ten lepers. And this is a story both about uh, God's unconditional acceptance, love, and forgiveness... It is about God's faithfulness, and it is about the importance and the necessity of gratitude in the sense of it being a demonstration of a mature spirituality. But let's say some things first before we get to that. Um, Luke has, Jesus is between Judea and Samaria, and he's walking along. Remember... We read in, in Jeremiah, well, that was a pretty, uh, for, for him, pretty upbeat, Jeremiah. <laughs> you know, what he was saying, and this is maybe another thing about uh, the spiritual quality of uh, acceptance. He's saying uh, in that reading, we are all, we've been all taken away to Babylon now from Jerusalem. So we're here. I guess we better plant the gardens you know, clean up the front yard and sort of settle down. I mean, the situation is what it is at this point, so let's do that and somehow rely upon uh, uh, God's faithfulness in the presence of all that. Well, Jeremiah is writing about that, and Jesus is walking through an area where we have a group of people who didn't get taken to Babylon. The Samaritans. 
And the difference between the Jews and the Samaritans uh, is that because the Samaritans remained, their whole religious expression and outlook took a different turn than the Jews. Their sacred scriptures were different. The location of their sacred site, Mount Gerizim, instead of uh, the holy mountain that the, the, that the Jews uh, worship, uh, was different. And they had other customs and practices that are different. There are still Samaritans around. I saw one of these National Geographic things about eight or nine months ago where they showed the Samaritans killing a goat or something, you know, so you could see that. But uh, we have nine lepers, and there must be Jews and Samaritans mixed up in them. And they approach Jesus cautiously. They use a messianic title to refer to him, and they ask him to have mercy on them. So he doesn't even do a manipulation or anything in this particular healing story. He just says, go show yourselves to the priests. The law was that they had to go show themselves to the priests to demonstrate that they were in fact healed of their leprosy so that they could once again commingle with everybody else in society because they were living in a separate situation. And clearly, religious differences were minimized as the result of their affliction because you have Samaritans and Jews mixed up in this particular collection, or at least one Samaritan. So as they go, they are healed. And one of them realizes that he has been healed, and he returns, and he praises God, and he th it says uh, here... Uh, prostrates himself, which is a more corrective, correct translation than throw, threw himself on his face, which is the old one. But he prostrates himself before Jesus and he gives thanks. Now, Jesus observes here, were there not ten cleansed? And only one has come back to give thanks. And here's the added interesting thing about all this and all the healing stories and all of Jesus' pronouncements about the kingdom. The people who didn't express any gratitude did not have their healing reversed. They were still healed. The person who came back and expressed gratitude was a Samaritan. If you would have heard this story told in Jesus' day or at the time of Luke's gospel, this would have been an incomprehensibility to a, to a pious Jew. That this would have been the case. But none of these people uh, suffered because of their ingratitude. And that's the hard thing for, for many people to swallow. You know, God's unconditional acceptance, love, and forgiveness is just that. And in more than one place in the Gospels, the people who aren't worthy get in before the people who are. So this appears to be one of the bitterest pills for a lot of people, you know, that that is the case. So what is Jesus driving at with regard to the importance of gratitude? What he's driving at is that this response represents a mature and more fully formed spiritual understanding of the relationship between all of us in the creation. 
and that gratitude is a natural human disposition. I looked it up this week, and something I found out, and I can't remember the, the name of the discipline, but you know, psychology, or the study of the uh, psychology, you know, human beings, emotional states, mental states, and some spiritual states for some, that in psychology, most of the time, and since the beginning, we've been talking about uh, how to fix things that aren't working emotionally. We're trying to figure out the way we think and act and, and feel yeah, in terms of adjusting it so that we have this manipulatable sense of well-being, which is what the therapeutic culture is. But there's another type of psychological study now which is, uh, which is focusing on human traits that are positive and good and affirmative and why do some people seem to have a superabundance of them and other people have less of them. Because it seems to be demonstrable that being a grateful person and being able to express gratitude is good for you. It's good for you emotionally. It's good for you relationally. And people who find that easier to do seem to thrive at a level somewhat greater than those who don't. And yet the other side of this is that this is a trait that people can learn and that they can strengthen it. Whatever amount of ability to express their gratitude they have, this is something that is not just, uh, oh, well, you get this much gratitude. That's not what this study is all about. Mm -hmm. It says, you know, you have this much gratitude, and boy, you're sort of on the low end. And you just seem to be gratitude personified, right? But that this is somehow kind of an emotional state that is um, something that a person can, can work on. And what have we talked about before, that uh, spiritual progress to some degree in the eyes of many people who know a lot about this and have studied it, uh, is demonstrated by the increase in generosity, in somebody's willingness to be, uh, to extend. Uh, I hate to mention this. That, well, I don't hate to mention it. I'm supposed to mention it. This is the stewardship season coming up. And the fact is that gratitude is a good thing to remember when you think about generosity. And this reading today sort of sharpens our focus on its importance in all aspects of the way in which human beings extend <coughs> and give of themselves, of their substance, of uh, their understanding uh, God is the source of all things. So I was led to uh, look up on the net uh, some things written by Albert Schweitzer. Have you heard of Albert Schweitzer? Albert Schweitzer was a Renaissance man. I remember when I was a little kid, my father was a church organist. It wasn't his main job, but he did that too. Uh, he was a CPA and a church organist. So he had this collection of records that was Albert Schweitzer playing the entire organ works of J.S. Bach. And Albert Schweitzer was an expert on organs, organ building, on Johann Sebastian Bach. He was a pastor. 
He wrote uh, some seminal books in the early part of the 20th century on the life of Jesus, Lebster Jesu, and uh, a, a number of things. And then he went back to school and became a physician. And he went to Africa, and he was in Gabon, and he had that clinic for all those years. So he wrote a little thing called Reverence for Life, and he came to understand that what he was doing was an expression of his own gratitude for God's gracious work in his life, but also looking around and in the midst of all the suffering and all of the difficulty, he could be grateful for the presence of God in all that he saw, and that it somehow worked itself out for him in some ways uh, in a reverence for life. And he told this story in this piece that he wrote about being a little boy and his mother would come to him at night in the night when he was going to bed and they would say their prayers together. She would read to him a little bit, maybe something from the Bible, and then they would say some prayers together and uh, they would uh, then she would leave and so forth. And one of the things that it was on his mind a lot when he was young was uh, being disturbed, deeply disturbed about people who treated animals cruelly. And in the, uh, you know, the, the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals got started because of the way people were treating their horses. And my grandfather used to tell me as a boy in San Francisco when it was all horses, there were no automobiles. I had worked on a cattle ranch for two summers up near Bridgeport, California. And I came back, I was about 15, and we were walking up uh, Post Street, from Mar up Post Street, and I said to him, you know, I just am sorry that we don't, it's not horses and it's got to be cars. Horses are wonderful. Wouldn't it be great if we, we had horses and everything? Just, all right, here we are, David. We're walking up. So we have horses now. I'm your age. We have horses in San Francisco. Here's what you've got. The first thing that may be the case is that you're walking up the street with your girlfriend and it's windy in San Francisco and all of the manure on the sidewalk is dried and it's being blown in the wind. You're going like this as you walk up the street. There are guys with brooms sweeping it, you know, to put in cans all over the place. And three teams have locked up here on Kearney Street. And one of the guys is beating his horse mercilessly while the other two guys are having a fist fight. Would you like to go back to that? Well, I suspect Albert Schweitzer saw those scenes more than once. So one night when he was going off to bed and his sleep and his mother had left, he made up a prayer that he said all his life, Oh, Heavenly Father, protect and bless all things that have breath. Guard them from all evil and let them sleep in peace. Not bad. Not bad. And there's a lot of gratitude and good, pious sentiment in those kinds of things. Some of you may have those little private prayers that you've made up and you should cherish them 
and give thanks to God for them. So this week, what we, what we learn is this. God is faithful. God's grace precedes and follows us. We, in positions of leadership, and all of you exercise leadership in big and small ways in your life, are going to meet resistance and suffer to some degree behind that uh, stress. And so the confidence that God is faithful is an important thing for us to, to know and to hold close to our hearts. And God's healing power is unconditionally given without regard to how grateful you happen to be at any given moment. And that gratitude is a spiritual condition that is not merely given to some people and not to others, but that all people can cultivate. And that as we draw clearer to God about things, and this may mean a clarity about our life and what we're going to do and who we are, it becomes then easier for us to be grateful. And that gratitude is the location out of which we should express all of our relationship. Amen.